Hello, everyone, and welcome to Game Critics After Dark. I am your host, Richard Nyack. This evening, we have a very special episode for you. Instead of dissecting some stupid game like we usually do, tonight it's all about bending sky bisons and cabbages. Presented for the approval of the Midnight Society, it's the Avatar Show, with a rousing discussion of Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series, The Legend of Korra. Now, before I introduce our panel, I want to put our spoiler warning out there. If it was not obvious from what I just said, we will be spoiling absolutely everything from Last Airbender and everything from Korra up through Episode 9. So if you do not wish to be spoiled, stop listening right now. Uh, without further ado, let's meet our panel, starting with my Game Critics colleague and friend, Kristen Taylor. How are you, Kristen? I'm well, Richard. Hi, guys. Hey. <laughs> Next up, we have our first special guest. He is the host of the wildly successful Game News podcast and the moderately successful Negotiations Have Succeeded podcast. Aaron, <laughs> how are you, sir? I'm doing okay. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. And finally, we have uh, editor of the Borderhouse blog, Anna. How are you, Anna? I am great. Well, all right. And uh, just one more thing. Thing, uh, just a couple things that we will not be discussing this evening. That disastrous M. Night Shyamalan live-action adaptation, that will, will not be coming up in, in any way, shape, or form. Even mentioning it will, will get you booted off the podcast, and I mean that in, in all seriousness. Not on this podcast. Also off-limits will be any talk of the James Cameron film about space elf smurfs. In case you were, just in case you were confused, that is not on the agenda. Don't forget snorks. Oh, no snorks either. No snorks. All right, let's get right to it. We're going to talk about Korra uh, specifically later on, but I want to talk about Last Airbender first since it's the completed show, so there's a lot for us to uh, get into there. Um, I'd just like to get a baseline at first on how you feel the show, how you got into it, how long you've been a fan, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, Kristen, how, let's let's start with you. How do, what do you think about uh, Avatar The Last Airbender? Oh, I, I pretty much really, 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 really love it. Um, I love it. It's great. It's super awesome. It's it's the bee's knees. It's it's good. Everybody should watch it. Okay. Any more superlatives you'd like to add there? It's radical. It's totally radical. It's super catafragilistic espialidocious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Aaron, what about you? Uh, it. It is an incredible show. I was not into it when it first started. Uh, I was a couple of years late, and uh, but once I I started it, I forgot who. Some I think it was a, a buddy of mine. His twin sons were really into it. I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And then one day I watched it, and I told my wife, I was like, we have to watch this show. So it became what we watched as we ate dinner, like uh, an entire summer. We it, I think we caught up on season one and two just in time for the third. So uh, it, it's awesome, and we're loving Cora. The writing is so good; it just works on so many levels. The kids like it; we like it. it, it it's for everybody. It is universal. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a question for you about uh, your your kids specifically and how they feel about it a little later on. But uh, Anna, Anna, how, uh, what about you? I didn't know it existed until last year when a friend of mine told me about it, and then I sat down and watched all of the very first season in one weekend. <laughs> oh my. It was amazing. Mm. And then I just kept going. <laughs> uh yeah, I that 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 sounds like how I got into it as well. I was um 
I was actually on a business trip a few weeks ago, and I was I was stuck in a hotel in Chicago, and there's there is there was nothing in the immediate area except for a Target and a McDonald's, so I literally had nothing at all to do, um, and I watched all three seasons in about four days in on uh, on Amazon, and it was it wow I, I don't think I've ever consumed a show that quickly. Like it just, it was exactly what I needed at, at that moment. And it was just, it, it was fantastic. And I'm really loving Cora as well. And, uh, to get into my next question, uh, something I've discovered, not just with TV, but with, with games and a lot of other stuff as well, is that there's usually a single moment when I know that I am really into something, what I like to call the, the hook moment. And with, with last airbender, there was a, a spot where it dawned on me that, you know, this, this was more than just a kid show on Nickelodeon. Like this was. This was something better than that, but I'd, I'd like to hear uh, if you have you all have any hook moments first. Um, Anna, let's uh, ask you first. Was there a, was there a hook moment for you? There actually was, and I wrote it down. I rewatched it again today, so it was in the very first episode, and it's when Sokka and Katara were headed up through the icebergs and they started coming together, and she's telling him to veer left, and then they still crash, and when they're crashed. He yells at her and he says, I knew I should have left you home. Leave it to a girl to screw things up. And she turns to him and says, you are the most sexist, immature, nut-brained, <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to be related to you. Ever since mom died, I've been doing all the work around camp while you've been playing soldier. And I'm like, hold on, pause, rewind. Did they just call out sexism in a kid's show and actually <laughs> said sexist. And I'm like, oh my God, they did? And it, it was like the first thing that happened. And I've never seen a show do that. And I'm like, I think I need to watch what happens next. And it was the first thing in the show. That that, that was a wonderful establishment of their two characters just, just right off the bat. Like even before anything else happened, that was that was a pretty good moment. Well, and it was funny and it had that great family dynamic. And yet it still had that moment that was just kind of surprising. And it... It, it said a lot about the show right at the start. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, Aaron, what about you? I would say once, um, I, I haven't watched the first uh, book in quite some time, but once I had an understanding of uh, who the Fire Nation was and just how bad they were, you know, just what they were capable of, I was hooked. Like the scene where they, uh, I guess they captured Aang and he was on the boat. And just how he escaped and used his airbending to just knock people around. I was just mm. like, wow, I'm, I'm I'm sold. I was already intrigued by it. But I was like, wow, okay. Once I had an understanding of what people were up against, which, of course, got much bigger than just that. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it got me. I felt like I was, like, even though I I appreciate a lot of things, like like she just said about sexism and things like that, some of the writing that adults get, I felt like I was like a 10-year-old kid. <laughs> you know, I was smiling from ear to ear, like this is great. You know, so, yeah, it, it it is. It's highly entertaining how Ang just how this little kid just makes a fool out of Zuko and basically every Fire Nation soldier on that ship in the very first episode. So, all right, it's good. Mm-hmm. Two two in the fir- very first episode. Uh, <laughs> Kristen, how about you? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit something that I have never actually seen the entire first season, the first uh, <gasps> the first book. What? Whoa! False. Pretenses. I remember. 
I remember watching the first few episodes, seeing the first few episodes right before Thanksgiving when it, when it was first airing and thinking, oh my gosh, this is such a kid's show. I look at them trying to be so anime. Oh my gosh, such posers. And I completely dismissed it for an entire year until I was flipping channels one day and I came across the episode The Swamp, <laughs> uh, which is a book two episode where they go to the swamp and there's all this, this freaky stuff with the with the uh vine guy and the ang has his vision and he learns about it and he learns that he needs to find Toph and uh katara is trying to cry out for her mother and everything like that i'm like are they dealing with death here in a kid's show they are dealing with death that's that's actually very mature for an american show because usually they just dance around death and Mm -hmm. people are destroyed or people Go to HFIL uh, for as a Dragon Ball Z reference and all that other stuff, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, they are directly considering, they are directly uh, talking about death. So let me go ahead and watch this show. Yeah, I, I remember in the Americanized version of Dragon Ball Z when um, I don't remember if the, I think it was in like the very first. Uh, it was whenever Vegeta first shows up on Earth, and then him and that other big guy they were with, they blow up this helicopter. And then, like, afterwards, you can, like, they have this uh, recording of one of the, the main characters saying, look, I can see their parachutes. They're okay. And there's no parachutes at all. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no possible way they could have escaped. So, yeah, that was, I mean, it, it does, it is uh, actually kind of, I, I do kind of appreciate the, some of the themes they deal with in the show, even though they have a Y7 rating. Um, for me, it was actually a little bit later on in the first season. I think it was about halfway, maybe a little earlier than that. It's when... Zuko has that duel with uh with Zhao, that very first duel when he confronts him after you know Zhao takes over his ship. Um, it, up to that point, Zuko is just a ruthless jerk. Like there's really you you don't think that there's going to be much to him. But when he wins that fight and then he doesn't kill Zhao when he has the chance, that's when I I knew that there was you know there was a lot more to him than I that I had been uh, shown up to that point. And uh, that's, you know, that's that's a point where I was like, you know, OK, this is this is a lot more than than a kid's show. And, you know, it turned out to be right because there is a lot more to Zuko than it meets C.I. in that very first episode. You almost say Zuko transforms as the series goes on. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts, actually. Staying on the topic of big moments, this show has so many spots that are that are what I would call sublimely brilliant not necessarily single moments but like you know a running theme or a character relationship or, or something like that uh Kristen, uh let's start with you what is the most sublimely brilliant thing in the show for me it is entirely well okay i have two sublimely perfect moments the first is the entirety of the ember island players mm-hmm <laughs> Because I have never seen a show actually straight up address its fan base in such a blatant manner ever before. And it was so hilariously meta. And it was just like, they just was like, okay, we're perfectly aware TV tropes exist. And we're going to go down an entire bullet point checklist just to make you guys all super happy. And it was brilliant. I particularly enjoyed the part where uh, supposedly Jet died. And I forget who says it, but there's just like, is Jet dead? And so they're like, I don't know. That was really unclear. Yeah, yeah they're, they were literally addressing everything that's happened oh, up to yeah. that point, and it was so hilariously funny. And tear-bending. Yeah. And what was fun, was even funnier is that was, like, right before the big 
finale, like that four that four part gigantic finale where it's the final battle with Ozai. It's just the that put, putting that right there, I thought was was really smart. And my other sublimely perfect moment would be Tales of Ba Sing Se, Iroh's story. Mm. Oh my gosh! Every time it comes on, I just cry. I cry even before it ends because even before even just the fact that it came on, it makes me cry because it's just that it's just a perfect characterization. It's perfect moment of how Iroh uh, feels and how it must be for him to actually live and live in the city that he almost took and cost him his son and. How upbeat he and positive he re, he remains despite all of it. Mm-hmm. And also how much he's changed since uh, since he failed to take the city. And uh, was that uh, was that the last thing that Mako recorded before he died? Um, I don't think it was the. I don't know if it was the last thing he recorded, but I know he did die shortly after season two went out. Mm-hmm. After season two finished. Yeah, because I remember reading about there was a there was a delay between season two and season three because uh, Mako Iro's voice actor had died and they had to find a a replacement. So I was wondering if that was because it was built it was they dedicated that part of the episode to him. So I was wondering if that mm-hmm. was actually the last thing he did. I don't think so because he does wind up because there's the few there's the later episodes the the season finale where he's talking. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it, it's actually really whoever the person they got to replace him actually did a really good job because I would not have been able to tell if I hadn't known that it was a different person. Anna, how about you? So for me, it's the jokes that Toph makes about her blindness. Basically, any time she would make a joke about it, it was never they were always on her terms and they were always more mocking the other people rather than it mocking her. Mm-hmm. And it was so, like, self-aware and really good. And while I, I love Toph, she's my favorite character, and there are, there are definite problems with the fact that sort of with her earthbending power, it almost erases the fact that she has a disability. But she still, at times, that disability does affect her, and the other characters forget about it. And then she makes these great, great jokes. And, like, I wrote down one of them was... Um, when they'd fallen down into these caverns and Sokka's goes, it's so dark down here. I can't see anything. And Toph is all like, Oh no, what a nightmare. <laughs> 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 it's, like, it's, it's when she would do things like that, that I, I loved Toph so much in those moments. Oh, one of my favorite Toph is blind moments uh, is when, I can't remember what episode it is, but they're looking at a wanted poster and they hold it up and Toph just makes this face and waves her hand in front of her eyes. And it's the expression on her face that goes, hello, I'm blind. Do you guys keep forgetting that? And what's even funnier is it is like, I think Sokka shows her the poster first and then like Katara comes back at a later point and she holds up the wanted poster is like, have you guys seen this? And Toph is like, no, nope, no, I haven't. (laughs) Well, and, and when Sokka was drawing the um, posters of Appa when Appa was missing and everyone's like looking at it and going, what is wrong with that drawing? And she says, it looks just like him to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I love you, Toph. Toph is the greatest. Uh, so many. There's there's so many great Toph moments. We, we could have an entire podcast dedicated to Toph, probably, if we wanted to. Aaron, you got anything for us? Uh, King Boomy. 
Mm. My wife and I really like King Boomy. I just his perfect blend of just uh, craziness and just the fact that he played possum for so long. You know when he was when he was captured. Mm. Just the fact that I just this is wackiness that you really you have no idea like how how much he had been planning and how how forward thinking he really was because he was just so nutty and wacky. You know, the, the fact that you didn't know anything about, you know, the White Lotus clan, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That people were that there were ties between the different uh uh elements and you know powers that you just didn't see that were working behind the scenes the entire time. Yeah. And I just love that the scene where they tried to get him to escape. Somebody had put him in he was like buried up to his head. His head was just sticking out. He was in a metal <laughs> box, and like yeah. at that time, at, at that time, nobody could could metal bend. This is before Toph had figured it out. So he was, I mean, he was still able to earth bend while he was in the box, but he couldn't move the box itself. So everyone thought he was he was you know safely safely neutralized. But it was so impressive that he bent, like he did the bending with his head, like his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was insane. I just I just loved his wackiness and the fact that he really had things together. He just appeared to be aloof. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it was, I was a little disappointed that he didn't get, uh, I think he was only in a total of three episodes. It was more than that. I, thought, uh, I think he yeah, was, his impact was, was filled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, he, there Despite. was a the beginning episode, the episode where they went, where he went back and then when he broke free. Yeah. Cause it was, it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not remembering it, but I remember when they meet him, it was when, the the episode where they meet him when they first go to Omashu, and then the second episode where he's captured, and then the third episode is the finale when he's with uh, Iro and the rest of the the White Lotus clan. Yep. Okay. That's about it. Yeah. Um, for me, it's actually a- another episode in season three called The Beach. Uh, it's a filler episode where Azula and Zuko and uh, mm-hmm. May and um, uh, what's the What's the chi blocker girl's name? I forget her name, but Tylee. Tylee. It's where the four of them just go on vacation. Just yep, just just for going on vacation, just to relax. And it, it kind of ties into something that I heard Ken Levine say at, at PAX a few months ago. And I'm and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something to the effect of in order for a villain to be truly menacing, you have to see them when they aren't doing villain things. Uh, what do they do when they aren't burning villages down or robbing old ladies? And watching Azula just try to have fun and socialize and when she's trying to flirt with that guy and the fact that she just can't do any of it, the fact where she always just lapses up, <clears throat> the fact where she always just lapses back into devious supervillain mode every single time just serves to illustrate that how unlike Zuko, she really is the monster. Like she is like she really is what uh, Zuko is trying to act like. Uh, like, she would have killed Zhao without hesitating, like, without a second thought. And then, at the end of the episode, they just burn someone's house down for no reason. And then you remember exactly why you don't like her. I mean, I, I just thought that was a brilliant filler episode. I think it's interesting that you referred to, um, was it Mei Ling as, the, as a chi blocker? Yeah. Tylee. 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm all over the place. It's been a while. And my wife and I were talking about that because of, obviously, because of Korra. Mm-hmm. But you didn't... I, I don't think you would have referred to her as that having not seen Korra, though. It just, I mean, obviously the technique has been something that people have learned and have expanded upon and now it was being used to, you know, 
as opposition to bending and bending culture, if you will. There is actually an episode where they in Avatar where they call it chi blocking chi, but, explicitly. Yeah. They do, don't they? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There's an episode where she takes down, I think, a group of Earthbenders like all by herself, and then Katara, like I think it's Katara that's like treating them later on, and she's like, oh, "Tylee is a chi blocker," and that's like the first time you've heard that term, and then I guess it just sort of propagated into wherever the Equalists learned it from. Well, the writing is very good, so of course they're going to throw it back to something that stands out mm-hmm. and certainly the fact that you, she could not bend but she was formidable despite the fact that she could yeah. not bend yeah and that that's another thing that i do kind of like is that benders aren't totally invincible like even like even in avatar before the uh you know the equalists had all their crates all, all their uh all their weapons like a non-bender can still take down a bender if they're they're skilled enough true mm-hmm Oh boy, are they skilled enough? Oh yeah. Can I say something about Azula really quick? Sure, go, go right ahead. <laughs> so I've I've sort of been thinking about this. I wonder how different Azula would have been if she would have had someone like Iroh with her, because he changed Zuko so much, and Azula didn't have someone like him in her corner fighting for her and trying to make her be a different person. Hmm. Yeah, the person in her corner was Ozai, and that's not really a good person to have in your corner. No. Uh, it was it's someone that wants you as evil as possible, rather than someone that wants you to mm-hmm. change. She was a daddy's girl, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She was... It, it, what, what Zuko is trying to do is he's trying to... The whole time when he's trying to earn Ozai's favor, he's trying to really act like something that he's not. And he's trying to act like what Azula is, which is just a, a cold-blooded murderer. And Zuko's not that. Like, he wants to be that, but he's not that. And Iro, Iro knows that. Like, he knows that, you know, Zuko has a good heart, you know, underneath all that. Whereas Azula just doesn't. Like, there's just not an ounce of, of good in her. No. So, But I feel like she was just abandoned from the very beginning. Like, even when you look at the episodes that were talking about their childhood, it's kind of like... From the very start, the only thing she had around her was, like, that hatred and that competition and everything bad. And it's like she never had someone there to show her the good sides of life. And I kind of wonder if she could have been a different character had she ever had any of that goodness. I don't know. I I feel, like, so horrible for everything that happened to her and her character and the end of her character. And it's just like... It, it was so tragic. Well, doesn't her um I forget I forget her mother's name, but doesn't she have a few episodes where she tries to to do that and then like Azula just rejects her in favor of whatever Ozai's teaching her? I can't recall, but I want to say that Sounds familiar. There's an early episode flashing back to Azula and Zuko when they were kids and they're with their mother. Mm-hmm. And I guess there was something that their mother did. I can't recall. I know it's, I can't rec- I really wish I could remember what episode it is, but I, it's, I'm drawing a blank the, on it. The episode that I'm thinking of is, I don't remember exactly what episode it is, but it's, it's where Zuko and his mother are sitting by that lake and, you know, Zuko throws a rock at one of those, um, uh, one of those duck crossed with some other animal. It's like, it's some sort of like, a, a, well, I'll just call it a duck for simplicity's sake, but it's it's a duck. <laughs> he throws a rock at a duck, and then uh, he says, like, this is what Azula does. Watch. And, you know, uh, his mother is like, don't do not do that. Why would you do that? And then 
you know, Azula comes up and she does she does something really nasty and then you know, her mother's just like, why did you do that? That's a, that's a horrible thing. And Azula just sort of shrugs and looks at her and she's like, yeah. So, I mean, it just, it seems like, I, I don't know. It, just, it seems like she had that person in her corner, at least for a while, but then rejected her. But I mean, then again, she was also a, a child at the time. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thought. And then just some kids are psychopaths. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And as, you know, g- going back to the beach, like, you know, watching Azula try to, flirt and socialize and just have friends and the fact that she can't do it it's like wow you really are just a sociopath aren't you yep. and there's that that very final moment in the beach where she's doing her little oh and my mother called me a monster and mm-hmm. everybody was helping me up to such high standards and i guess i am a monster okay <laughs> she has like no guilt whatsoever mm-hmm. and then they had that picture of all of them standing in front of the burning house and that was just great moving on Avatar is often regarded as a a kid's show, quote-unquote. Most of the main characters are kids. It's on Nickelodeon. But as we all know, there's quite a bit more going on here than just your run-of-the-mill cartoon. And Aaron, as someone who has several young children, I'm curious if, one, do they watch it, which you already kind of answered, and two, do they they get it? Uh, Are the stories and motivations and everything presented in a way that they really understand what's going on, or is it just all about fire blasts and cute flying bisons to them. They they really don't get it because the original series, my oldest, she's 12 now. So she was, I guess like nine mm-hmm. when we were watching that. And then my middle child is six. So she was like three. So she, all, all she remembers is was a boy with like an arrow on his head. <laughs> so the themes and the plots and all like that, they don't, she didn't really get all that. My oldest, she get, she got more of it, but not all. Like if she watched it again now, she would get a whole lot more mm-hmm. than she did. But she remembers enough to, like we you know, we would pause things. She'd have questions, and then we pause it because normally we don't watch anything when it's on TV. We DVR almost everything, so we pause it, answer her questions, and then continue on. But the, you know, the show because it has some of the little goofy anime isms and the animals and some of that stuff. They they don't really need to. They have a. They definitely had a sense of who was good, who was bad, uh, on a very basic level, and I guess that's enough. I don't know. There's only so much they're going to get. Yeah, one of the things that, um, and go, going back to Zuko again, especially when um, during the epi- during a lot of his little monologues, some of his dialogue was, it felt really strange in that they were trying to write down to children that might be watching just so they just to make sure that they got what he was feeling and where he was coming from and you know for an adult like you know like me who's watching it i already understand that through you know the things that he's done and and, you know said before that so i mean it's it's not necessarily a problem but i mean if you're an adult watching it i just thought it was it was kind of noticeable so i was wondering if that uh if that worked on kids or if it didn't, or if it was just something I was just sort of, if my mind was just playing tricks on me and it wasn't actually there at all. I, it's, it's kind of tough to say. I, I don't know how much of his feelings and stuff they, they walked away with understanding and even perhaps sympathizing with. I honestly, honestly don't know. (laughs) Like I said, for the oldest, I think she got, she understood that he changed. She understood that he went from being somebody she really hated early on to empathizing with him as the showing on, which is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. 
and clearly, like we we discussed, Azula was just bad. From she was she never had any moment of redemption. She was just always a terrible. And then she also saw that you know her friends transition too. She still could not, but everyone else around her uh, made some kind of transition except for her. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to ask is this show is. It's like Kristen was saying earlier, it's very anime-ish. Um, the art style is very much like uh, a lot of Japanese animation, but it's produced by a Western studio. It's written by Westerners. Um, I don't think any of the main writers were Asian. Um, and then even like the art style of it, it's just sort of this random mishmash of a lot of different Asian influences, or well, almost entirely a uh, mishmash of different Asian influences. So... Kristen, what I, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how do you think this show compares to a lot of traditional Japanese anime? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, compared to, well, okay, well, I'm going to st- straight up say that the majority of anime I tend to watch is either uh, shoujo anime uh, or... So I do watch some shonen, which uh, like the boy shows, like Bleach, that okay. sort of stuff. Can, can you can you explain the difference between shojo and shonen? Shojo is made for girls, mm-hmm. so that's stuff like Wedding Peach, Sailor Moon, uh, Car Captor Sakura, that sort of stuff. Uh, those are all magical girl shows, uh, and the shonen are boy shows, action-packed, lots of violence, people just Dragon Ball Z, people fighting, who cares why they're fighting, who cares if talking would resolve it peacefully, they're going to fight anyway, that sort of stuff. Um, One of the things that I do like about Avatar versus, uh, Avatar and Korra versus most anime shows is that in an anime show, if if you have like a team show, and you can look at you can look at any any of these power rangers bleach even sailor moon that sort of stuff it's a team only in that everybody else is there to support the leader and once the leader is selected by golly the leader is going to be the one that does everything so even so even though you know the rest of the team is there they're really only there to give the to give the leader the final push that the leader needs to ultimately win the day all the time and Avatar, being an ensemble show with a team, does a really, really good job of making sure that every person in the team counts. Mm. Even Appa does something. Momo kind of, but Momo's just mostly there so you can know when something's going to get serious or not. Hmm. But in a, you don't see, even though Av- Aang is the Avatar, he has to constantly get help from a- other people. It really is a team effort. On everybody's part, when when they when they attack on the day of Black Sun, it's not just the four of them just rushing in to get Aang there. Even though Aang's got a part in it, everybody else has their other part because somebody else has to take care of the rest of the army. Everybody, somebody has to do all this other stuff. Somebody has to find the Fire Lord, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and so it's not just okay, Aang, we're all gonna combine our powers just to make you super powerful, that sort of thing. Um, so it's not like avatar voltron basically is what you're saying pretty much <laughs> where the only important part is the head <laughs> yeah it, it really I, I think you're you're absolutely right there is um what what one one of the best things about the show is that 
every single character gets their their due in some way. Like every like nobody is just strictly the comic relief, except for maybe Momo. Um, nobody is Sokka or Sokka well, not all the time. Or Sokka, not not all the time. I mean, he has his his serious parts too, which is you know, which is a good thing. Um, especially that. Um, I think it's in season three. Maybe it was in season two. The no, it was in season three because they were in the Fire Nation. Because where he goes and learns uh, sword fighting, so he's like he's not just some kid with a boomerang. Like he's a competent fighter now. Um, just just that kind of stuff. The way they they handle all the different the way they handle the all all the different interactions of characters. I think was uh, was just was one of the great things about it. Yeah, it, it's it's really phenomenal to watch it in that instance and. It, Watching Avatar and then watching like something like Bleach on on uh, Adult Swim, mm-hmm. and everybody's fighting in Bleach and everybody's fight, fighting in Bleach. But oh wait, nobody could win because Ichigo's not there. Okay, <laughs> we all better just stand around and wait for Ichigo to come and save us. I don't care how powerful you all are, Ichigo's the only one that could do anything. That that sounds so much. And I'll, I'll personal confession here: when I was in high school, I watched all of Dragon Ball Z. And I actually enjoyed it because I was a teenager at the time. And oh, that, so did I. That's, that's what teenagers do. But uh, and, and it's exactly like that. Everyone is waiting for Goku, or in some instances Gohan, but usually Goku to come save them. Like he's the only one that can win the battle. He's the only one that can do anything. And in Avatar, that's not the case. Everybody does get a chance to shine. That is, that is one of the best things about it. Mm-hmm. Everybody is important. Everybody matters, even Momo. Because if it wasn't for Momo, then we wouldn't have that episode, that portion during the Tales of Ba Sing Se, where we found where we find out what happened to Mo- to Appa because mm-hmm. of Momo's segment. Yeah, where he's running away from those uh, those badger cats or whatever it is, and he finds Appa's yeah, the footprint. Panthers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was Tales of Bossing Say was a really good episode. And speaking of really good episodes, haha! You see that segue. <laughs> We all have favorite episodes, I think. Like, usually in most shows, I can think of one or two episodes that, you know, really stuck out as like, you know, this is what the show is. This represented what I want out of this show. And actually, I've already given my answer with uh, The Beach. And uh, Kristen gave my, my other answer with Tales of Ba Sing Se. But um, what, what, what about you? What about all you? Do you have uh, particular favorite episodes that stick out? Um, Aaron. How about you? Um, you all have mentioned them pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> like when uh, when Appa was kidnapped, that was one of my favorites. Uh, any of the, of the three or four with, with King Boomy. But I think one of the ones that was humorous to me, I think that sticks out, is the one where um, was Toph was competing in the professional uh, earthbending or whatever, and they had a character named the Boulder. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be like The Rock talking in first person. Yeah, I think for comic relief, that was one of my favorite ones that made me chuckle. That was funny. But uh, and I love that the Boulder comes back at the end and fights in the final battle. The Boulder says, mm-hmm. "That was that was definitely funny." But something, um, even though it's not as fresh in my mind, the uh, episode I think Kristen, you mentioned this, uh, the episode with that told the the backstory more of uh, Uncle Iroh's backstory. That definitely reson- resonated with me. I mean, how could it not? You know. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of something we have not mentioned, an episode that just sticks out in my mind. I think some of the ones where you got a chance to see Sokka because he was he was involved with the what was the name of the the girls who wore the green Suki. 
Tsuki and the Kyoshi, the Kyoshi Warriors. Warriors. Kyoshi Warriors. There were some episodes where you got a chance to see that Sokka was not just comic relief. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate those episodes because they, I mean, you liked his character because he was funny. You didn't want anything bad to happen to him. But those episodes gave him a little more depth, and I appreciated that. And I think uh, one of the earliest seasons, they meet the Kyoshi Warriors really early on. They do. And uh, one of the one of the first things Sokka does is he makes, I forget exactly what he says, but as soon as he sees them, he makes some really stupid and sexist comment. And then at, by the end of that episode, he, or some point in that episode, he goes to them and it's like, please train me. I need to get better. I need to be you know as good as, as at fighting as you. And he's grown at the end of that. And that's another one of those moments where, like with Zuko, you realize that Sokka isn't just this dumb, funny guy. Like, there's something more to him also. Like, he's he's gotten a little bit of growth at the end of that episode. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Anna? So, I actually have ones from each of the books. <laughs> so, for book one, my favorite was Jet, which is the one where there's, like, the girl girl uh, group fighting against the fire nation and i i wasn't really behind the whole love story thing that they tried to put in there for katara but i thought it was really interesting because they were talking about kind of do the ends justify the means and there was the whole robin hood thing there was the whole vengeance thing and it, it was really interesting and it was another one where um since you were just talking about Sokka being more than just comic relief. He's the one that kind of saved the whole town at the end of that episode. Mm-hmm. And then from season two, we've already mentioned the tales of Ba Sing Se. I, there was so much good about that entire episode. There was discussion of like every single major character in the show within that episode. And every single mini story that they told was just done so well. And then season three, the Ember Island Players was already mentioned, so I'm instead going to go with the headband, which is oh. the one was, where... Was that the Footloose episode? It was the yes. Footloose episode. <laughs> so you've got the hilarity of the Footloose episode, but then you've also got... He goes to the school and realizes that even though this is supposed to be your enemy, these are also just kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's sort of a really important lesson for Aang to get. Yeah, they especially in season three, they go, they really do go to great lengths to show that the the Fire Nation isn't all bad people. Like they're not mm-hmm. all like Ozai and, and Sozin and uh, and Azula, especially when they're in that. Um, oh, what was the title? It was the one where it's they're in that village and Katara impersonates this spirit that they all believe painted in. lady. Painted right. lady. Yep. That was it. That was a good one. Yeah. That was good, and that's a Fire Nation town. That's the enemy, so to s- supposedly. Yeah. But um, yeah, well, and and in the headband when they get there, Sokka's all talking about we have to be quiet. It's the enemy, and like Toph makes a joke about what the enemy birds are gonna say something, and <laughs> yeah, I, that was such a good episode. <laughs> I gotta rewatch the whole thing now. You all are making yeah. me like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Like, uh, it's one of the benefits of having everything so fresh in your mind. As soon as someone brings something up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But, uh, Kristen? Well, I just want to declare the entire th- book three my entire favorite episode, because I can't do that. Because <laughs> I can't do that. 
I oh narrowing it down is so hard. I have I'll okay. There's the Ember Island players because I I live on TV tropes. So and that's just one giant fan episode to me. But um, if I had to pick one and stay with it, it would probably be the beach, and not because of what happens with the with the Azula team, sorry, Team Azula, even though that is part of it, with the with Zuko whooping, whooping off his shirt and the doves flying, <laughs> and Azula winning so so badly at, at soccer that the people will never rise above the remains of their humiliating defeat at a children's game, uh, at a game, but Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Because mm, that's the episode, I think that's the first episode where Sparky Sparky Boom Man attacks them. Attacks the gang, and it's what is the guy I, who shoots the fire out of his his out of his head? Mm. Yep, and I just love I just like him. I just like Sparky Sparky Boom Man. That <laughs> just because his name, the only way you know him throughout the entire rest of the series is a Sparky Sparky Boom Man. <laughs> I wish I would have explained exactly, wait, how he came to be. <laughs> <laughs> they even referenced him on the the very last episode of. Of Legend of Korra, mm-hmm. uh, Sokka brought With him Sokka. up. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to know like how did he get a third eye, and how can he like, shoot fire out of his head? It's like, and why does he have a metal hand and a metal foot? Like, where did that come from? He's like the most interesting character that you never learn a single thing about, other than the fact that he can pretty much beat up, kick everybody's butts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a, and a guy who you probably would have written off is the one who defeated him. Yeah. So. Yeah, unless you hit him in the head with a boomerang, because then he's well, if, you, if you do that, <laughs> don't. that's just common sense, right? Really? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, does anyone have any final thoughts about uh, Last Airbender specifically before we move on? Um, I was talking with the wife I'm, because it's all it's fresh in your minds. Let me just ask this question: uh, We were talking about the Avatar state, and it, it, just the fact that it seemed like in the latest episode ten of Korra. That in the flashback, what Aang... episode nine. What was it? Nine? <laughs> yeah, because it's. I mean, I could be wrong, but I thought this that was the ninth episode. But hey. uh, but I don't, I don't. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. You know what? It it is nine. You're right. Mm. It is nine. That he seemed to go into the Avatar state, but like he wasn't all the way in. <laughs> it's like he he was maybe halfway, mm-hmm. and then once the bloodbending starts happening, he goes fully in, and then turns the tides. And I guess the part, the thing I couldn't remember was, was just about Aang when he would go into the Avatar. So I'm trying to remember if there was any other time when, in the original series, where he went in but not all the way. It's just like other different, other different levels of him, or maybe it just as he grew older, he could go in faster I, I th- into the Avatar state. I think that is the implication: is that as he grew older, he could control it more. Or maybe not control it, but I mean, he could, once he went into the Avatar, Avatar state, he could bring himself out of it more easily. Because at, at the very end of the, after the battle with Ozai, I think that's the first time he comes out of the Avatar state willingly. Like, without being zapped out. Because, like, the previous few times he does it, like, he's either, it's when he gets frozen in the ice, or... Mm-hmm. Um, when he's just he's so exhausted after he creates that water monster and just wipes out the Fire Nation fleet at the end of season one, um, or at the end of season two when Azula zaps him and he almost dies, um, I think it I think it's just him 
having more control over himself and being able to go in, not necessarily in and out of the Avatar state at will, but just being able to maintain his composure when he's in the Avatar state, if that makes any sense. I think so. And there's also that episode right before the end of book two, where he's getting trained by the guru on unlocking the chakra points mm-hmm. that will allow him to access the Avatar state uh, more easily. Because if there's that flashback episode in book three, where the Avatar to Fire Lord, where Roku, Roku, Roku. Fire- Avatar Roku just goes into the Avatar state. Kyoshi does it too. She just goes in that episode where they're trying to declare her name. They could go into it and come out of it willingly, but I guess since Aang's so young and he's never been properly trained on it, uh, most previously it just started off being triggered by uh, high stress. He was basically the Hulk. Only instead of Gamma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the issue that that he had? Because I guess. The avatars weren't supposed to love or they weren't supposed to have relationships and stuff. What was the, I can't remember, what was the issue that he had that prohibited, prohibited him from getting into the avatar state when he should, like like at the end when he fought Ozai, but, you know, the pain, the rock hitting his back triggered it. But what was the issue that hit him loving someone? No, I thought it was his injury from when Azula shot him mm-hmm. because I thought that was what was, blo- I mean, I, am, am I wrong? Like, I thought it was when, because it hits that point where he, where she wounded him. When he... Yeah, he's going into the Avatar. He's going into the Avatar state, and Azula is dangerously Jodrasavi enough to know. Okay, he's starting to glow, but he hasn't really finished the glowing part. I'm going to hit him with electricity, which uh, almost kills him, and pretty much just shuts down and locks him off from the Avatar state. Okay, that's uh, what it was. You're right. When he and pr- just prior to that, he had gone into. That's when he was having the training with the guru, and the guru was telling him that he has to release to get control over the avatar state, and to like have voluntary control over it. He has to let go of his attachments, and his one remaining attachment uh, was Katara. That's what. It, okay. Mm. So when he went into the Avatar state at that episode, he had actually turned he literally turned his back on Katara. Like he turned around physically and sat down to enter to to induce the Avatar state. And uh, that's when Azula kind of hit him and it blocked it locked him off. He almost died from it. Uh, But and uh, Katara's healing didn't help. But then he got magical chiropractor treatment. And was able to re-enter it. <laughs> yeah, we all would. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't. Um, I, I don't think that there's any sort of restriction on the Avatar having relationships at all, because we know Roku had. I mean, Roku is Zuko's great grandfather, so I mean, he must have had children. And then uh, I think it's what was it Kiyoshi that they said had children as well. It was one of the previous Avatars that they said had had a family. Um, and then, ob- and of course, Aang has his three children. Yeah, and then obviously yeah. Aang has has uh, Tenzin as well. Doesn't turn his back on her for forever. No, no he yes. does momentarily. Well, it's convenient. Um, so just one more thing I want to say about Avatar before we move on, and I couldn't work this into any of the questions, so I'm just going to come out and say it because I'm the host of this podcast and I can do that. But um, one of the smartest things in the entire show that I thought was the fact that Aang and Ozai do not meet until that very last battle. Like it made their meeting much more momentous. It made it more impactful. 
you don't really know what Ozai can really do because you haven't seen him fight up to that point. It was just it was a very powerful thing, and I and I'm, appreciate the fact that they did that. In fact, they even made mention that he didn't know what he looked like because I just watched the headband episode again this morning. Mm-hmm. And when he went to the school, he one of the things that Aang got was a picture of Ozai because he didn't even know what Ozai looked mm. like. This big bad guy, and they have no clue. Yeah, and actually, now that I think about it, the episode where Aang is um, having those dreams about fighting the Fire Lord, the Fire Lord looks nothing like Ozai because Aang has absolutely no idea what what he looks like. I mean, he just sounds. I mean, oddly enough, he sounds still. He still sounds like Mark Hamill, so he knows what he sounds like, but not what he looks like. <laughs> so you know, I never noticed that. That is really. That yeah. Is- it's really nice detail. I mean, I'm fine with them including more Mark Hamill because you know more Mark Hamill is never never a bad thing. <laughs> All right, well, folks, we are going to take a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. episode airs it seems like at least one person on my my twitter stream will tweet just a random sequence of letters and then a cora hashtag like it's <laughs> it happens every week like clockwork it's it's that big like this this cora mode it's just such a squee type of show like people squee over the show like crazy now when i started watching cora several things jumped out at me as being different from avatar the tone is obviously a lot darker the setting is more early 20th century, uh, but the most striking thing is Korra herself, I think, in that as opposed to Aang, who felt very cursed with being the Avatar, he never wanted the, the power of the Avatar, he never wanted to be the hero, Korra loves being the Avatar. Like, she's very Tony Stark in how she feels about being the big chosen one. Like, she loves, she she absolutely loves it. And I adore that contrast between them. But, uh, but but what about you all? What's your stance on uh, Avatar versus Korra? Kristen, I can I can feel you just foaming at the mouth. Uh, let's start with you. I've been squeeing silently since this whole this this second half began because Korra. Oh gosh, Cor- oh words fail me when I want to talk about Korra. I just want to just start screaming in giddy delight and just sit there with this gigantic happy smile on my face. And I look forward to every Saturday morning when I can wake up and watch Korra. And then because I have satellite, watch Korra again in two hours. And then watch it again on Sunday. And then once it becomes available on Nick, watch it again and again and again and then pick it apart every single scene that happens. It's It's... Take everything I said about Avatar and just multiply it a hundredfold. Oh, wow. I am in love with Korra. How hyperbolic. I like that. Yes. Korra is so hi- Korra is hyperbolic. 
<laughs> if, Ava- if Avatar The Last Airbender is parabolic, Korra is hyperbolic. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't have to. What you need to know is I am such a fan of this show. And I love the tone. I love the art direction because the art direction changed slightly as well. Uh, I love the all the little meta nods to to uh, to the fan base. Uh, I love the fact that they troll their viewers on Tumblr. Uh, the writers themselves troll the viewers on Tumblr by po- by putting up little fake polls over who you want to ship Cora with, or rather, who you want to <laughs> ship Mako with. Like I just opened up Tumblr one day and was like, "Hey, do you do you guys go for the Cora Mako ship or the Cora? Uh, what is her name? Uh, Asura Asami. Asami oh. ship." And I'm just like, "The episode just aired. How are you doing this to us already?" And the little dig at uh, Zuko's mom. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like this giant fan fan love letter wrapped to Avatar, wrapped up to Avatar fans, and given a strong female lead and the best fictional sport ever in pro bending. I love pro bending. I absolutely... like I could just gush. I could I could just keep gushing and gushing and gushing. But I guess I should let other people talk. Uh, I just I just want to say that I I, I love pro bending. I, lo- I, lo- I just love that they it's such a detailed sport also because especially when they start going into the rules and Cora Cora gets in there and she immediately just breaks all of them instantly and Mako's like you can't do that we're gonna lose but no I just I I, I, I notice a lot of people and well a lot of people on my feed I mean like three or four people but uh, they, they were just they said the pro bending episodes just sort of wore on them not not me I really enjoyed them but uh, Aaron I'm just continuing the pro bending uh, discussion. The last pro bending episode, when you saw the uh, the team cheating, mm-hmm. some of the techniques mm-hmm. they use were things I had never thought about. You know, like uh, just mixing of you know a little bit of stones in the water, and just some of the the techniques they were using, which clearly were against the rules that the you know the referees were looking the other way. But it was just like, wow, they re- this is how they beat everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it. it I went into the show with a lot of reservations because I liked the original series so much. I thought, how in the world can they follow this up and have it be worthy? And my wife was very skeptical. We sat down with the kids. I think we had breakfast one you know, the first day it came on. No, actually, um, you know, they had the two episodes up a week or two early on the website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just went to another website and just downloaded the HD <laughs> versions of it <laughs> and then streamed it to the Xbox. So we, we sat there, watched it. Wife was like, "I don't know, you know, we love the first one. I don't, I don't, you know." When I show her that trailer with the cars and everything, I, you know, technology had moved ahead. She was kind of like, eh. "I was, I had reservations." She had more than I did. After those first two episodes, she just looked up to me and was like, "I'm in." <laughs> she was like, I'm, "I'm in." I was already in, but to, to hear her say she was in was like dynamite. My twelve year old was like, "Daddy, this is great." A six year old said, "Where's Ang?" But I like it. You know what? Good. Okay. <laughs> you sort of get it, but not really. But that's okay. The the moment I realized that Tenzin was voiced by J.K. Simmons, I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm in. This is this he's, is good. He's in everything. I know. He's, he's all over the place. He's, he's just one of those guys that is just he's. He, I mean, he and Stephen Blum, the two guys who are in everything, are both in this show. That's got to be that, that's got to be like stars aligning, planets colliding, level of cosmic energy there somehow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so Anna. Oh, I'm sorry, Aaron. Did you have something else to say? Uh, I, I think 
I think Chris has pretty much said it all. It's it's awesome. I don't, I'm not gonna say it's. I'm, I don't know if it's better than the original series. But it's it it just complements it so well. It's just you can tell how much love just went into perfectly crafting these stories and pulling you into these characters. I mean, within two episodes, I was just like ensconced and like this is awesome. I'm ready to go. Mm. Yes, uh, Anna, how about you? So I absolutely adore Cora. <laughs> everything about the show and it feels like it's the perfect continuation after the last airbender because it's it's like it's right afterwards the characters are older the themes are kind of more mature the world is is older in age and it feels like they did the hero's journey with avatar the last airbender and now they're kind of over it and so with cora they can do more than just that and they can get into some deeper themes, and I'm so ready for them to do that. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, I, I I really like the tonal shift. It feels more mature without being a lot more mature. And just I, I just want to make this perfectly clear for myself. I love Cora. She like herself. She is the perfect successor to Aang. She is different than he is uh different in a way that um it makes his attributes stand out a little bit more like ang is very spiritual very reserved cora is not that at all i mean like i said like i said she is she is tony stark like she is tony stark to i guess bruce wayne or well maybe not bruce wayne uh uh what's another another superhero that you know doesn't really want to be the superhero she is tony stark she loves having the power she loves having fun with it and it's just that that's awesome. Like it's just it's a great uh it's it's a great character, I think. Um moving on, uh another thing that stands out about Korra to me is that um it's only been correct me if I'm wrong, but it's only been uh contracted for I believe two twelve episode seasons so far, and we're coming up on uh Actually, next week is going to be the season finale because it's just going to be two episodes back to back. So it's even season one is just wrapping up now. Well, there's three. There's ten, and then eleven and twelve will be on the twenty third. Oh, there is a third one. And then, according to the Wikipedia page, the second book is fourteen episodes. So they give us two more. Okay, I'm sorry. I've I've been getting conflicting information all week about how long it actually is going going to be. But, um, yeah, it was originally supposed to be 13 episodes, but then uh, Nickelodeon decided they wanted an additional 13 or so, so they stretched it out to 26. Okay, so there's going to be a total of 26 episodes. Right. Okay. So that's... You mean for the entire series? For the entire series. Only two books? Only two oh. books? No. <laughs> it was supposed to be a mini-series. Yeah, you know that honestly, that's okay because the quality is there. You'd rather I'd rather have them do a shorter series and have it be tight and be good than do twenty per per season and have nothing to show for. You know, you, you, the beach was you mentioned that earlier was special because you got a chance to see a different side of the characters. If you do four beaches, then it loses everything that's special about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Last Last Airbender, I think, was the perfect length. Like three seasons was exactly what that show needed. Um, it got everyone, well, almost every single plot that was was wrapped up in a satisfying way, and it just they had just enough time to do just enough, well, almost enough that they that they needed to do. 
And um, with Korra, I just it feels like it's been moving much faster than Last Airbender did. Like, I mean, like you said, you don't have episodes like The Beach, where it's just sort of the you know get to know you episodes with the characters, like you know uh, Tales of Ba Sing Se. And to be honest, and I want to hear what you guys think about this, but I think the show kind of suffers for that. Um, Aaron, you were talking about that just a second ago. Would you agree with that? That it being that it, the way they're moving through the narrative so much faster it, makes it suffer. Yeah, the the faster pace I, feels like it's just it's. I don't know. It just feels kind of. I, mean, I, I don't. I don't think it suffers because of that, but it does. I've I've been discussing this with a. I don't know if you know Scarfinger or not, but he and yeah. I have been discussing this quite a bit. And his feeling is that it's moving so fast that he's he's loving it, but he feels like it's going to be shorter. I don't think he looked up to see that it is, but he's already can kind of tell the way the pacing is just, you know, that's it's just going, it's firing on all cylinders. But to me, that's okay because the difference between court, like Aang needed, he needed friends, he needed a community to boost him up to feel more powerful. Like she feels powerful. She needs people to temper that. She needs patience. That's why she hasn't learned air yet. Mm. So I, I kind of feel that the beginning of the second book will maybe slow down a bit. You know, as as her character begins to calm down, she'll slow down, she'll learn air, and then be ready for the final confrontation with whomever, whatever that is. Mm. So I think you'll get more of the more of the episodes that go into more just more story development not necessarily action just more who are these people what are they about what is another dimension of said character hmm. interesting it just it felt like i mean especially with the sort of the romance quadrangle with uh or i guess the romance what romance square romance rhombus romance something parallelogram romance parallelogram that's, <laughs> that's better but um the romance shape between Korra, Mako, Bolin, and Asami, just it, it felt like it happened so quickly. And I'm not saying it was bad, but it just it was just kind of jarring how fast that that happened. But I don't know, maybe, maybe that was just me. Um, it, Kristen, what what do you think? Um, well, one, I'm actually curious to see what'll happen if Amon if they actually defeat Amon in the season finale, because then that's a whole other like. 14 episodes where there's no Amon. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't think that'll happen. But um, I, in comparing it to some anime, and uh, I'm going to make an anime comparison again, where uh, the longer a se- the longer a series drags on, the more filler episodes you get. And I don't want to keep going back to Bleach, but Bleach is like the king of filler episodes, other than dra- other than other than the original run of Dragon Ball Z. Is it worse than Dragon Ball Z? Bleach? Oh, Bleach has an entire seat filler season. I mean, Dragon Ball. I remember in college watching it, and you know, just nine tapes of like one battle with Frieza, like just mm-hmm. fight. Like, oh, yeah. and it's nine... and it's not even a battle. It'll be it'll be just like whole episodes of a dude just standing there powering up. Like, I remember it's like one of Frieza's transformations took like three episodes and it's just him standing there grunting. Yeah. So, but anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Well, that's fine because Dragon Ball Z just had, okay, Frieza's going to stand there for three episodes and power up. Goku's going to stand there for five episodes and charge up a spirit bomb. Namek took five hours to cross five minutes of time to blow up. Bleach has entire full length 20 episode filler seasons between 
that stuff. So stretch damage exploding out to another 15 episodes. Wow. That's how bleach is. That's, that's how bleach is. And yeah, but the, that's when you get longer seasons, uh, you start getting those filler episodes and the episodes that just sometimes are not connected to it with this shorter, with this shorter uh, run, it could be more focused. It could be, they can hit all the stuff they want to hit. They can make sure that there's no plot threads that they won't, whether they won't go, okay, we're going to, we're, we have to stretch this out. So we have to save it for another time. No, they already know this is how much we have to plot it out for. This is what we need to hit in this episode, this episode. So the writing, so the pacing will be better. It'll just sound a little weird. I mean, no, sorry, it won't sound weird. It'll just seem weird to people who aren't really used to having a series end after one or two seasons. Hmm. Like, imagine if if Friends ended the second season. Oh, storyline's done. I've I've never watched a single episode of Friends, so I have no idea Neither what you're talking I. about. I just know it went for a really long time. <laughs> uh, like I'm like. Or House. I've seen House. House finally ended season eight. I think most American shows tend to just go until the viewership drops. Uh, long-running shows just go until the viewership drops enough. And oh, yeah. uh, then they just end it. Storylines be damned. Mm-hmm. If there was a storyline, oh well, it's over. But with Korra being the way that it is, they already know what they plan to do. So if they ever get reopted, they can, they can just build off of whatever they've done before. Hmm. Interesting. I, it's just, it was something that was just, the faster pace was just very jarring to me compared to Avatar. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm human and change, change frightens me, but, uh, the way you're, the way you're, the way, the way you're explaining it does, does make sense. I can probably look at it and, and not be afraid anymore. Uh, it's very similar to how it's very similar to to some anime I've I've watched where, where, where that are only one or two or three seasons, and I I think especially if you look at American cartoons that don't have major storyline arcs, mm-hmm. uh, then it's kind of like that. I I have only ever watched. Uh... Well, I guess I've, I guess there's Dragon Ball Z, but other than Dragon Ball Z, I have only ever well, no, I have I never did watch the final series of Dragon Ball Z, but the only anime series I have ever watched from beginning to end to completion is the original Full Metal Alchemist, and that one went uh, what was it five seasons, mm-hmm. five or six? It was pretty long. It was long. So it yeah. so do anime? You're saying anime is generally shorter than that? Sometimes anime is shorter. Uh... The full metal series went as long as they did because uh, they were adapting an anime. Full metal, full metal Alchemist Brotherhood was a direct adaptation of an anime of a manga mm. of the comic book. So that would pre. So the anime has to cover the entire comic book. That's why there's so much filler and bleach. When they run out of comic book material that, to adapt to uh, the TV, they literally just create a wholesale uh, season straight out out there until the comic book catches up. Mm. Uh, when usually when there's nothing, no comic for them to adapt, um, other than the Full Metal Alchemist, the first run, they're usually shorter pace. Like recently, I just watched um, Darker Than Black. Darker Than Black season one is only about twenty six episodes, hmm. and they covered a whole thing beginning to end, and it's really fast pace. They pretty much expect you to, they pretty much expect you to keep up to keep up with it. If you have to re- rewatch it, you better rewatch it. And I think the first Ghost in the Shell standalone complex was 
roughly around the same length. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right about Ghost in the Shell. And second gig, and look at and look at and I had to buy the DVDs for Ghost in the Shell uh, season one and two, standalone complex and second gig, and I had to watch them multiple times back to back just to figure out what the heck is going on. But it all ties together because there's a concrete story. Uh, most American cartoons, they're done in such a way, even if they don't have major story arcs, so that, oh, what's one I can use? Uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. That's the one I was thinking of. The Angry Beavers. Mm, yeah, all those the old Angry school, old, all those old school Nicktoons that were just oh, they're so awesome. Yeah, there's very little continuity in those. So they're and they're designed so that you're not supposed to know when the series begins and when the series ends. And I think that was actually part of part of what made the Angry Beavers people Beavers, the Angry Beavers people <laughs> mad was because they're they couldn't angry. do a season finale because Nickelodeon was like, no, because it has to be seamless. You can't, you shouldn't know when you started the season and when you ended a season. And and they're obviously angry because right, you know, just like SpongeBob. I mean, yeah, they've definitely continued that on. Which mm-hmm. is, Separate narratives just go. Yeah. Uh, well, Anna. pacing fits with how I sort of feel about Korra in general. So Aang in Avatar The Last Airbender was kind of going through a hero's journey. He only knew airbending first and had to like go and meet all these people and learn and grow. And Korra, she pretty much knows all of these elements already like she's she's got to figure out air but she's pretty strong as she is Mm -hmm. and so you don't need that slower gearing up pace she's already there to begin with she she was firebending as a as a toddler exactly all the bending except air as a toddler Mm -hmm. yeah and and not only that but now you have this teenager there and so you've kind of got all of these things that you didn't really have with Aang. And I think it just it starts out with a very, very different dynamic from the very beginning than you did with Aang's character. Yeah. And so to me, the pace makes sense for Korra. It's a pace that wouldn't have made sense for Aang, but it makes sense for her in my mind. Hmm. It does, does make sense. Um, moving on from that, um, now, woohoo, now we get to the fun part. Um, because, you know, obviously we haven't been having any fun at all up to this point, but, uh, <laughs> the main antagonist of Korra, Amon, as we've mentioned before, is hidden behind a mask. You never get to see his actual face. So other than the mask and the sweet dulcet tones of Stephen Blum, we don't know much about him other than he can do Aang's thing where he takes people's bending away. Spirit bending. Spirit bending. Or oh, I thought it was called energy bending. But they called it spirit bending. In the first series, didn't they? Uh, they call it energy bending in the wiki. Oh. But uh, I don't know. I, either way, it's a thing where you put your hand on someone's head and they, they can't bend anymore. So this this mysteriousness surrounding Amon has led to rampant rumors regarding his true identity. And this would not be a proper Korra podcast without some wild speculation of our own. So I ask you, panel, who do you think Amon really is? Kristen, you and I have already had several frivolous discussions about this already, but what's, what, what is your guess? My guess is that it's Azula. No, that's me! <laughs> that's my thought! Okay, what about the voice? Not... 
I thought it's Zula's kid, but <laughs> oh, that was mine. No, I have think that it's one. Azula. <laughs> no, no, in a in in a slightly more serious. I think it's Zuko's mom. <laughs> slightly, she's more aged serious. very well. Yeah, she has. No, age has not been kind to her at all. <laughs> No, I, I have I have no I I am completely in the dark about who Amon is and I've been purposely trying not to speculate too seriously about it because I want to be taken off guard. I want it to be I want to I want him to, to take off his mask and be surprised that it's the cabbage guy. Or it's foaming mouth man. I, I, I thought it was Aang. <laughs> or that it's Aang and somehow Korra Aang. Is, is an anomaly. That's why she can't air it. Two avatars at the same time. Yeah. Anna, what about you? you yeah, Kristen? I really think I really think that it has to be a child of Azula. That was that was my first thought as well. Uh, well, okay, my very first thought was Ozai. Because you know he lost his bending and mm-hmm. wants revenge, but he'd be way too old, and he's not. Yeah, he he's not Mark Hamill, so that you can't be <laughs> Ozai. Um, Aaron, but isn't it? But isn't what he's doing still bending though? Like he's against benders, benders this, benders that, but it's still bending. It is, and in the very in the last episode when he confronted Tarlock, he was able to resist blood bending. We did not understand that at all. I was like, "How was he doing this? Like, what?" Gotta be. He's has to be a bender of some kind. But yeah, he has to be a powerful bender of some kind. That's why I made the joke about it being Ang because in the flashback, uh, the guy I forgot his name. The guy that escaped the courtroom. Oh, uh, Joaquin. 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 He started um, blood bending Ang, and then he went into the full Avatar state and just squashed it right then. Like, no, stop. <laughs> And then took his bending away instantly. And I thought, those are two parallels. You have somebody taking away bending and re- and doing some- and doing something to resist blood bending. One you can see, the other you can't. Or one you understand, the other you don't. I- it was a joke, but I thought, well, how can two avatars exist at the same time? But you know. So it's so your guess is a a twisted ang, a a a disgruntled Aang, sort of like a from Metal Gear Solid. You know, he he's seen so many things, and he's just he's switching sides. He's like uh, the original Big Boss. He's just, you know what? I'm going the other way. <laughs> <laughs> the original Big Boss that never dies and keeps coming back, and even though he shouldn't. Oh, yeah, so they thought like he was the, burned, but he wasn't. This is like that episode of Buffy where Buffy was dead for five minutes, and another Slayer popped up, and then Buffy mm. was back alive. Is that what we're working with here? More or less. <laughs> there can't be two avatars. It would royally screw up the spirit world. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Probably Roku would not be happy. <laughs> um, my guess is, in, in in all seriousness, we know that Aang and Katara had three children. Correct? Yes. My guess. Ayabumi and Tenzin. My guess is that it's one of Tenzin's uh, brothers or sisters, because well, Kaya is a waterbender. Mm-hmm. And where else would, I mean, where where else would they learn how to take someone's bending away? Like if it's not if it's not mm. Ang, then they had to get it from from something. So a gigantic swimming lion turtle. That is true. Maybe Amon is the gigantic swimming lion, swimming lion turtle. 
Hey, Toph invented metal bending. Who's to say someone else couldn't figure out how to take away oh, someone's bending power on their true. own? That's true. That true. It's true. Opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Um, and I'm pretty sure Ozai, Ozai was never, wasn't executed. He was just sent to prison. Mm-hmm. And, he could have escaped and raised a kid and taught him. And there's yeah. actually a post... Um, there's a comic that takes place in between the end of Avatar and the beginning of Korra that I have not, I have not read it, but Ozai is still in prison in that comic. Like he has not died yet. So yeah, you never know. So wait a minute. He's in prison. Yeah. They sent him to prison. Mm -hmm. Aang took his bending away. And then they, uh, at the end of last year, oh, I'm, 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 you know what? When you said Ozai, I was thinking of Iroh. Oh, sorry. Wait a minute. I'm like, wait a minute. Well, they did send Iroh to prison, but we all know how that turned out. Yeah. He's working out in secret. Oh, yeah. Ooh, maybe it's Lutin, Iroh's son, back from the grave. So he's a zombie. Maybe that's how he resists it. He doesn't have blood to bend. That's the thing, because there's so many people (laughs) who would have vendettas against the Avatar, be it, you know, the current one is still linked to the other others. So you have an issue or a family issue with an Avatar, you have someone to take your frustration out on. It is interesting. I mm. I just hope that they don't go just too off the rails. Like it's Momo in a robot suit or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that was wonderful. So, do you think we've uh, added added our fair share to the rampant internet speculation? There will there, we will never yeah. be able to add to it's the Appa, of, clearly, I mean. of, <laughs> Appa. clearly. Appa it's Appa. Clearly, it's Appa. Clearly, it's Appa. Tank Pym, mad that he was go. in the Avengers movie. How would they fit him in the Avengers movie? He or Wasp? How, where would they have been? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I was kind of annoyed by that, but that's a whole other subject. That, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it is. All right. And, well, we are just about out of time. Uh, does anyone have any final thoughts on any topic at all that they'd like to add? I do. If there is ever a video game tie-in to Korra based off of team management of pro-bending, I would buy it, no matter how crappy it is. Hey, if it gives you a thousand achievement points or, or you can get a platinum trophy in two minutes, it will sell very well. <laughs> I mean, they made a they made a tie-in video game for Quidditch. I want my tie-in video game for pro-bending. That's very, very astute. That uses Connect. That oh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. like the best idea ever. I would actually play that. I like I would play that. I would. Probably I like playing play Power Up Heroes, and they're making a um one for the Avengers or whatever using the same tech. Alrighty, well, with that, we will close the podcast. I'd like to thank our panel for being here tonight by giving you a chance for some old-fashioned, shameless self-promotion. Aaron, uh, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Indifference. The second I is a one. And you can find my podcast at GameEnthuse.com. And if you search for Negotiations Have Succeeded, you was well, asking Negotiations Have Succeeded Libsyn.com. That's what my second podcast is. One is obviously about games and us just talking about life. The other is a little more comedy, some political stuff in there, just us talking about life and topical things like that. So cool. Check them out. Cool. Anna, what about you? Where is your where is your internet home? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Gunthera1, G-U-N-T-H-E-R-A-1. 
And you can find some of my writing at borderhouseblog.com, which is a gaming blog talking about diversity issues. And that's borderhouse, B-O-R-D-E-R, houseblog.com. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, Kristen? Well, I'm also on Twitter, funnily enough. Uh, Jealous22, <laughs> G-E-L-L-E-S-22. Uh, I'm also on GameCritics.com. And occasionally I write blog posts that show up there. Super, super. Um, and with that, we are finished. If you like the show, or even if you hated it, post a comment on our website at GameCritics.com or email us at podcast at GameCritics.com. You can also find us on in iTunes if that tickles your fancy. Uh, for everyone, good night. Excellent. Fun. I think that went well. My cabbage corp. <laughs> <laughs> that was so awesome. <laughs> I, I, I love that there's a statue of the cabbage guy outside the building. <laughs> oh. uh, it's, 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 there's so many good little callbacks in that show. Oh, yeah. It's, it's funny. One of my co hosts, uh, Mike, asked me, he's like, Is you, he said, you have to watch Avatar to enjoy. No, it wasn't somebody else asking, do you have to watch the original series to enjoy it? I'm like, well, you even still enjoy the new one, but I mean, you enjoy oh, it on a, such a whole nother level. If you oh, know, yeah. like, like, like when you see Toph's daughter, you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah, when I saw Lynn just take her foot and slam it on the ground, and you saw the sonic waves, and I'm like, ah, Toph! <laughs> <laughs> and especially like in the last episode, when you see the the forty year old Ang and like the older Toph, and it's just like, oh my god, they're not kids anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and Sokka being all serious. It's like, whoa, you grew up. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. It was, it was it's so, there's so many tiny callbacks and so many, they're still very meta. I love how meta they are. Mm-hmm. Like still the calling him Twinkle Toes. He's <laughs> 40 years old. Shenzhen <laughs> <laughs> interrupting his own backstory. <laughs> and fully aware that he was telling it to her and wondering why, which cuts off the background music. <laughs> Yeah, hey, dude, I know that. I like it really silent. <laughs> I think that they did that twice, even like when when uh, Katara was going to tell about Zuko's mom, and then they just cut off the background music. Yeah, well, I thought it was when uh, Tenzin and his kids showed up. Like they just landed, or no? It was like it was when Korra came out, and uh, all the kids were like, "Ah, Korra!" And then like she just stopped telling the story. Well, uh, oh, because what it is is. Uh... I'm gonna get their names wrong. Iki. It was Milo, Milo, Iki, and the other girl. I don't remember their names, so. I... Jinora. Jithora. There we go. Jithora is the the bookworm, and she asked Katara about uh, what happened to Zuko's mom, and Katara starts to talk, and the music swells, and everybody's getting super excited, and then Iki shows up and cuts off the background music. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked Iki's yes, yes, no, no, 10,552. And I'm like, yep, I love you.
<laughs> you are adorable. I want to take you home. <laughs> oh, I love Bolin. And it's funnier because Bolin was originally what Toph was supposed to be. Really? Really? Yes. That was the original archetype for for Toph, but since they did make since they went with what they did with Toph, they decided to reuse the concept for Bolin. Hmm. That makes I, sense. I, I love all the really good female characters in this show. Like, there's so many great characters you can point to, and there just aren't many shows where you can do that. It's just it's a good point. It, it makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Asami is totally capable of taking out chi blockers and benders all on her own. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she is awesome. I love her. And she gets she gets her own little zapper glove when she steals it from her dad, and she knows how to use it. Yeah, she knows how to use it. She yeah. knows how to fight. She knows how to drive. And yep, and the I way love that they're Blade. foreshadowing. She will be using it on somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>